You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast on this Tuesday, July 27th, 2021, the day before the first practice of training camp 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and today our episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. The first practice of training camp in 2021 for the New York Jets is tomorrow. And joining me to talk about the training camp is my friend, Michael Nanya, who writes at JetsXFactor.com. Michael, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on. Always fun to come back and talk to you, John. Now, things can change quickly, but at the time we are recording this podcast the second overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft, Zach Wilson, remains unsigned. It's not clear whether he will be at the first practice tomorrow or whether he will hold out. Michael, what can we say at this point? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a situation that you would just prefer to not come to. Obviously, we saw this play out with Sam Darnold three years ago, and I believe it was three practices that he ended up missing. It's, felt like an eternity much longer than that, um, which ultimately isn't an awful amount of time to miss. But when you're trying to implement a rookie quarterback who's supposed to be leading your franchise for hopefully the foreseeable future, you like to have him to get as much time on the field as possible. And any time that he's missing is really valuable time. So uh, it's something that you would prefer to not see, but I do think it is a little bit early to consider it a catastrophic issue. I think there is still enough time for them to hammer this out, for him to get in there, maybe miss one or two practices at most. Who knows, maybe they do finish it up and he flies in tomorrow and appears at practice. Robert Sala seemed pretty confident when he talked about it today, um, when he was asked about the backup quarterback situation, whether he would add someone else with Wilson out. Um, He said, let's see what Joe does within the next few hours. And obviously that was earlier today um, and nothing did play out over those next few hours, but uh, it did seem like he was fairly confident, not too worried about it just yet. But these things do linger on sometimes after starting out with some optimism. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but as of right now, I'm not too worried about it, but with every day that passes, it does become a little bit bigger of an issue. So um, for Wilson's sake and the sake of the franchise and its future, I think, um, you know, the quicker you can get it done, the better, obviously. Yeah, I kind of have conflicting views on this because on the one hand, I agree with you. There's no reason to panic, even if he misses a couple practices. It's not that big of a deal. On the other hand, they've had a long time to get this done. And I don't understand right. why. It seems like we do this a year. You mentioned Darnold. Two years ago, it was with Quinn and Williams. Now, last year, they got Beckton in on time, but it just seems like this team has an issue getting guys signed on time. And, you know, it's easy to blame the players. It's easy to blame the agents. But this is three times in four years, it feels like. And, again, it's not that big of a deal as long as he's not out, like, two weeks. But at the same time, like, I look at the things that are holding this up. It could be offsets. There was some discussion. It's the timing of bonus payments. 
I just don't get why these are things that that are like preventing Wilson from getting into camp. So I, I'm I'm not panicking, but I'm also a little frustrated by the fact we've got we've gotten to this point. Yeah, and that's definitely a fair reaction because it it is really just a minute thing to sort of haggle over, especially when you've had so much time. I mean, like you said, for sure, go ahead, haggle over it. But he was drafted over two months ago, going on three months in a few weeks. So there's been plenty of time to hammer that out. Most of these rookie contracts get done really quickly, but it is, it is, it is becoming a little bit of a theme with this franchise. And we've seen how, as reading about it earlier, that the Jaguars typically don't give their players offsets. So obviously that's not a team-friendly thing to do, but it does avoid situations like this, whereas the Jets are known to always do it, which, you know, by all means, go for it. But it has caused some situations like this. So the more of a trend this becomes for the Jets as an organization, as years go on, it's definitely not a great look for them. Um, But either way, for both sides, you just like to get this done quickly. And it is, you know, from an outsider's perspective, a hard thing to comprehend how there could be so much back and forth and such a long dispute over something that is very, very small in a contract. And the thing with offsets is Jason Fitzgerald of overthecap.com wrote an article today and he went back 10 years and he found among top 10 picks drafted since 2011, there's only been one player where offsets actually would have made a difference. And that was Eric Flowers because it, to, for an offset to come into play, it essentially means you have to cut the player within his first four years. That means nobody will trade for him. And typically a top 10 pick you can get something for. But also when you cut a guy in his first four years, he can be claimed on waivers. And if you claim the player on waivers, you take the full contract. So the only way this could come into play is if you not only cut Zach Wilson, but nobody was willing to trade for him or claim him on waivers. I mean, it's and the amount of money you're saving is just not much money. I just, uh, you know, we can move on because there are more... There, there are more positive things we can discuss heading into training camp than this. It's just, yeah. it's one of those things. It's, it's, I can have like two opposite viewpoints. Cause on the one hand, like I don't want to panic because ultimately he's going to get signed probably. And we will forget that this ever happened, but I, I just, I just don't get it. It's tough to comprehend. It, it's just one of those nagging, annoying little things that we have to sit through, but Uh, We'll see. I don't think it'll be too big of an issue, but hopefully it's not. Every single day becomes a little bit bigger. I think they also make me look bad because every summer I feel like on the podcast, I get a mailbag question for one of our mailbag shows and they ask me, what are the odds our first round pick is going to hold out? And every, every single year I say, don't worry, it's the odds are against it. And every single year it seems like somebody holds out. So (laughs) Jets, stop making me look bad. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. 
Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years with prices that are reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So let's talk a little bit about position battles heading into training camp. I'd, I'd like to begin with one that Robert Sala kind of laid out today that surprised me a bit because I had been under the assumption that Morgan Moses was penciled in as the starting right tackle. And Sala said that there's a competition between him and George Fant. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a lot of us were penciling that in, that Moses uh, was brought here to be the starting right tackle. That, you know, the reason you would make that move, bringing in a veteran like him at this stage, would be to pencil him in as your starter. But Sala put that competition out there today. Seems like it's going to be an open battle. Um, and I think the contract that he signed, I believe he got slightly over $3 million in base salary for the one year, kind of did open up the door that he might compete because that's not necessarily starter money. That's right in the same neighborhood as Greg Van Roo and Alex Lewis and Dan Feeney, who two of those guys are probably going to be backups. Um, so he didn't get starter money, so it did leave open the possibility that would happen. Uh, but here we are, and I think it's going to be – my favorite battle to watch in training camp because Moses obviously is at least an average tackle. His numbers last season in terms of PFF grade were up in the top 10 range, but it was a career year for him, a little bit of an outlier. Generally, he's been average, pretty good in the run game, maybe a little bit below average in in pass protection, but that would still be a huge upgrade um, for this team and even over the numbers Fant put up last year. But I do think Fant in this offense projects really well. He's a great athlete, moves very well laterally, and I think in a wide zone offense, it's going to play really well, especially I think um, if you're going to run this offense behind Mekhi Becton and be really left side heavy um, running behind him, I think that complements Fant well too because looking at his film last year, I feel like what he did best was execute blocks on the backside, working around defenders to the inside, sealing them off to the backside, so they can't pursue the play from behind. I feel like that's what he did the best last year using his athleticism. So that complements Becton really well if you want to run behind him, emphasize the left side and Vera Tucker uh, in this wide zone offense. So I think Fan projects really well into the scheme and that gives him a leg up in this competition, even though Moses is a more established, accomplished, probably better player. I think the scheme is a greater fit for him than it is for Moses, who I think can fit in the scheme pretty well, even though his athletic numbers are not very good and he is in his 30s now. He moves better on film than those numbers suggest, but I still think that his game is more so power and technique-based, working downhill to the inside than it is getting out on the move. So uh, the scheme advantage goes to Fan, the talent and experience goes to Moses. It's going to be a good battle, but I think the most important point here is regardless of who wins, you're going to have a good, solid backup tackle. And that's something that not a lot of teams have. We've seen it with the Jets the past few years. It's been Chuma Idoga, Connor McDermott. They have not had good backup tackles at all. But now it's either going to be George Fan or Morgan Moses. And 
that's a big upgrade over having Edoga or McDermott as your backup tackle. So regardless of who wins, I think bringing in Moses was most important because that backup tackle spot is fortified. Absolutely. And I'm not sure they're going to do this, but I know you have written about this at JetsXFactor.com that perhaps he would be a good fit Moses at guard with Fanta tackle. Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility to consider. I feel like Moses could project pretty well to a switch to guard. Um, I talked about his game being a little more power-based. I think it would play really well in there. I actually think he would be an above-average, average to above-average athlete if he were at guard instead of tackle. And I feel like in pass protection, too, he kind of does better handling full rushes, power moves, things like that, than he does with speedy edge rushers. So I feel like his pass protection could take a step up in there as well. And also that right guard spot for the Jets is a question mark with Greg Van Roten is probably your favorite to start there right now. Who's not the worst stopgap in the world, but not an ideal starter. Uh, and then beyond him, it's just an open competition with maybe Dan Feeney gets in that mix, although he'll probably be the backup center. Um, maybe Cameron Clark, Cameron Clark makes a push or Alex Lewis. But um, I think the best five really would be having fan at right tackle. Um, Morgan Moses at right guard, and then your presumed three at the other three spots. Um, but we'll see if they do that because it would be a quite the switch for him at this point in his career. He's played, started every single game at right tackle, a couple left tackle starts um, over the past few years. So it, it would be a switch for him, but I do think it would be a good allocation of talent if it's something he's open to and if it's something they feel like he's capable of doing. Now, what do you think the plan is at corner? Because I can't figure out what the Jets are doing there. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest question mark on the defense. Um, it, it definitely seems like that they want to go all in on developing the youth. They passed up on signing Steven, Steven Nelson for months, and as it turns out, he did not sign a very lucrative deal um, with the Eagles. So it, I think it clearly seems like they're just all in on taking a lot of shots at the dartboard with those late-round picks that they had this year. They also had um, a big investment in the undrafted market with Isaiah Dunn. And I feel like they're just confident in their ability to develop those guys. They have some nice pieces. Um, the coaching staff in the defensive backfield, specifically Tony Oden, um, he did a great job as a 49, in the 49ers defensive backfield last year. Jason Verrett had a bounce-back year, an excellent bounce-back year. Um, he was also part of developing Darius Slay in Detroit and Xavier Howard in Miami. Now he comes here to the Jets and is coaching their secondary. Um, so they have a really good secondary coach, and I think that does a little bit warrant their confidence in going so young at cornerback. But at the same time, it's really risky what they're doing. There, there isn't a guy on this roster at cornerback who's drafted earlier than the fifth round, and the most experienced starter is Bless Austin, who has 16 starts. So it's a very, very raw cornerback room, and it's going to be risky. But I do think another reason they could feel confident in doing that is the defensive front. I think with the pass rush that they have, it is going to make the jobs of the corners a lot easier with how quickly that pass rush should be getting home. And you also have veterans in the secondary with Marcus May and the Marcus Joyner um, and CJ Mosley in the middle at linebacker who could kind of help them out a little bit from a communication standpoint. So I think there are pieces in place, reasons in place that support their decision to go young at the cornerback position, but it's it's a big risk. The floor for this group 
is really low. There's it could absolutely be the worst in the league if things don't break right because there's just zero. There are no proven players in this group. Um, but I think I like Bryce Hall's fit in this zone defense. I think he had a solid finish to last season, and as a fifth round rookie who didn't practice at all, was injured for most of the off season, and came right in, played well against some good wide receivers, specifically the Chargers. Um, I think his potential is pretty good, so I do like him. Um, but beyond Bryce Hall, definitely some question mark, a lot of question marks there. Now let me put you on the spot. James Morgan or Mike White, who wins the backup quarterback job? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the general manager bias. I'll go with James Morgan. Um, but I could see it going either way. I don't think Douglas will hesitate to go. If they are just going to stick with these two guys and not make, Another addition, Blake Bortles just got released, so that possibility is out there. Um, if they don't make another addition and they stick with these two guys, I don't think they'll hesitate to go with White over James Morgan, but um, I will lean towards the fourth-round pick that Douglas just selected. And Mike White does have a lot of preseason passes on his record. He played every game for the Cowboys in the preseason from 2018 to 19, and he was pretty bad in those. In every single game, he did not play well, put up bad numbers. He threw only one touchdown over, I believe, 138 preseason passes, um, and his pass rating was below 70. So he struggled a lot, and that was two years ago. We'll see if he's developed at all. Um, But he does have that in his resume, whereas James Morgan has yet to play, so he could potentially be better than that. But this will be another interesting battle to watch. I think it's close to a 50-51 because there just isn't much to go off of with either guy. But the one guy we do have a little bit to go off of is White. He has a lot of preseason games out there in which he wasn't good. So for that reason, I'm going to go with the guy who hasn't played yet and therefore potentially might be good or not good, but at least by preseason standards uh, in James Morgan. So um, we'll see what happens though. Now, Marcus May looks like he's going to be playing out the season on the franchise tag. What do you think of this whole situation? Yeah, it is a really interesting situation because there are arguments for both sides. If you're Marcus May, there are guys who – I did a breakdown looking at some safety contracts, and there are guys who he who have, are making a lot of money, the high-state safeties in the league, whose numbers and production are not as good as his. So if you're Marcus May – there's no reason not to fight for one of the top five contracts in the league at the position because the guys who are up there are right in the same ballpark, if not worse, some of them substantially worse in terms of their production um, that compared to what May has put up on paper in terms of stats, grades, things like that. But from the Jets' perspective, you have this team-friendly tool to your disposal in the franchise tag. Why not use it? Just go – he's – Nearing his 30s, you're about to run a new defensive scheme. Why not just throw the franchise tag on him, see how he does in the new new defense, and maybe revisit it next year. Obviously, it will be tougher to do that because he's going to have to hit the open market, potentially. Um, May not be open to an extension after how things went this year because apparently they lowballed him. Um, But I can see both sides. There's There's no reason for May to settle for the number the Jets are throwing at him, considering his production relative to what other guys who've gotten a lot more money put up. And from a Jets perspective, he's getting up there. You're running a new defensive scheme. 
And I also think the numbers overrate him a little bit. He's very good. He's definitely a top 10 safe, uh, free safety in the league. Um, his production has been excellent, but I do think it overrates him a little bit. There were quite a few plays last season, and you could do this for every defensive back in the league in terms of plays where they're lucky they get beat, doesn't get converted on. You could do it for everybody, but it definitely varies from player to player. Some guys have a lot of luck. Some guys have a little bit, and it makes them look worse. Some guys have average luck. In the case of May, I think there was a pretty well above average number of plays last season where he was beat for what would be a long touchdown, and luckily the throw wasn't converted on. Uh, whether it was overthrown or the quarterback just didn't see it because of pressure. Um, he had a few lucky breaks in that area last season. Um, and he still did give up four touchdowns, which was, I believe, top 10 among safeties. Um, so I think there are some reasons that the Jets, some legitimate reasons the Jets don't value him as much as fans generally do and the statistics. But um, I do lean a little bit more towards the side that they should have probably gotten it done because I feel like he's stayed durable, he stayed consistent. This is a position where there aren't many – May isn't a game changer, but I feel like this is a position where there are a lot of safe – there are a lot of guys starting in the league who really hurt their team because they struggle in coverage so much. And May definitely isn't that guy, even with the lucky breaks thrown in. So he's been very reliable. I probably would have wanted them to get this extension done, but I could see where they're coming from. Yeah, one of the things I always say about May is that it's kind of tricky with him because you do not notice him when he's playing well. When he messes up, that's when you notice him because he, because there's a big play against the Jets. But when he's doing his job, he's kind of providing stability at the end of the defense. So I think that makes him a little more difficult to value because you don't – the things that he does are more subtle than, say, like what Jamal Adams did when he was here. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it definitely makes him – a tougher player to evaluate. And that's why I think the team's evaluation of a player like that could be a lot. It could be off base compared to what we think, because a lot of the things are a greater portion of the things they're looking at are out of reach of what we might be looking at on the outside. Because, you know, we look at the pass deflections, he a lot of pass deflections last season. He's a great on ball playmaker. That's something he's definitely great at. Um, he did make some nice plays in the box. He makes some nice open field tackles, but a lot of it is just managing that back end. And there is good and bad. For the most part, he is very good in that area. I mean, we've seen some bad safeties here back in 2016 with Calvin Pryor, Marcus Gilchrist, bust galore. And that doesn't really happen with Marcus May. But at the same time, there are some plays that where it is happening, but you're not seeing it because the play isn't getting converted on. Like in the Raiders game, for example. Um, Marcus May is beat by Nelson Aguilar before the Lamar Jackson, uh, Henry Ruggs touchdown. A couple of plays before that, May gave up what should have been the game winner, but Carr just overthrew it. And then after that, he gets beat by Darren Waller for what should have been the game winning touchdown. But May holds him, and uh, the, the game goes on because he has to hold him to pre- prevent the touchdown. So he's is, he is a really hard player to evaluate. There are a lot of really positive things, and there are some, some reasons you can see why the Jets are a little hesitant to pay him. So it's an interesting situation, but um, I think you can at least be comfortable that the Jets uh, are going to be getting a very good player this year. Uh, we'll see what happens beyond the season, but um, at, at the least you can say Marcus May is a very good free safety. 
Now, obviously, a big draft class for the Jets. They get three of the top 35 picks. Um, they make uh, you know, make a lot of picks on day three. I'm not going to ask you to give us expectations for every single draft pick, but name us a couple guys you're watching this, this year uh, from the rookie class. Well, I think, obviously, the number one guy people are talking about, beyond the obvious of Zach Wilson, is Elijah Moore. I think he's going to be so important for this offense in the run game because in addition to what he'll do in the passing game, but I think an underrated aspect of what he brings is that in the run game, not only will he be a threat on jet sweeps and arounds, things like that, carrying the ball, but I think the threat of him carrying the ball and him being in motion is really going to open up the run game because the Jets might play a lot of 11 personnel this season, running out only three wide receivers because that's the strength of this offense, you don't have a ton of talent at tight end and you don't have a good fullback like 49ers did and you have a lot of good receivers. So they could be lightening up the personnel and as a team that probably will want to run the ball a lot, it could be a little bit tougher to do that when you aren't, when you don't have as much meat at tight end and fullback as the 49ers did. So I feel like the way they will compensate for that is with the motion and the threat created by Elijah Moore that's how they're going to create their space in the run game, getting defenders out of position, getting their eyes caught in the backfield on Elijah Moore. That's how they're going to be able uh, to really open up the run game and compensate for the lack of of blocking ability tight end. They do Tyler Croft. I think he'll be uh, a big piece in the run game. But other than that, they don't have much. So I, I feel like Elijah Moore, beyond the obvious talent that he has as a pass catcher and ball carrier, I think he'll, his impact, in terms of the threat that he's going to be and the respect he's going to demand moving around the field is going to open up a lot of things. Michael Nania, always great speaking with you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with our weekly mailbag. Send in your questions.